want to thank you for subscribing and listening in to our podcast today. Uh, please rate and review us. We would also love to connect with you. If you would like to, to speak to a pastor, you want more information about our church, text CONNECT to 903-586-6520 and we will follow up with you. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, you can text GIVE to 903-586-6520 and click on the link and you will have the option of giving one time or on a regular basis. We would greatly appreciate your support and thanks again for listening. Have a great week. You ever watched a show where the protagonist is always one or two steps ahead of the antagonist? Maybe it's a story you're watching from, told from the antagonist's point of view, and you're, you're watching him or her conceive this wicked, diabolical plan, and you, you feel as if things are going to end badly for the hero, only to learn at the end that he knew the plan from the beginning and was prepared. I think of like Sherlock Holmes or something like that, a story like that. Well, that is definitely the story from Scripture. Nothing takes our Lord by surprise. He tells His disciples before they arrive in Jerusalem what will happen to Him there. He, he tells them that He will be betrayed that Peter will deny him, that he will be tried and beaten and crucified and on the third day rise again. While in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night of his arrest, God the Son converses with God the Father over what awaits him at Calvary. We read the Lord's Prayer today and Jesus follows that model while in Gethsemane. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. He knows what's coming. So much so that by the time these events begin to, to unfold, when he's arrested, he's prepared. And he responds calmly, submitting to the Father's will, because it is the Father's will that he go out like a lamb to the slaughter. We read that from Isaiah in Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Isaiah's prophecy, as you know, in Isaiah 53 is about Jesus, and that is exactly the way he went out. We're going to refer to Isaiah 53 a lot as we, as we round out the end of Luke. And while it seems as if he's not, he is very much in the driver's seat. Everything from this point forward happens as he said it would, as God's Word said it would. The disciples are the ones who are unprepared because they didn't prepare by being watchful and in prayer they're sleeping, right? They refused to believe Jesus' teaching that He would suffer and die. To them, they, they, they couldn't conceive of the benefit of a crucified Messiah. Peter rebukes Him for it. He pulls Jesus aside. Let me, let me give you a little word here, Jesus. 
Matthew 16, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. They refused to to listen and they disobeyed when he called for them to prepare for the unforeseen temptation to come by being watchful and in prayer. They're sleeping on the night Jesus was arrested unprepared and they fall when he's taken into custody. Jesus is ready though. They're not, he is. They're not. They're not ready, but praise be to God, His redemptive plan is not contingent on His disciples' readiness for it. Right? Aren't you thankful for that? We need to be prepared, believers. We're called to be prepared, but His work doesn't depend on whether or not we're prepared. Now, there are consequences to our sin, right? But He triumphs no matter what we do. They failed, he triumphs. You have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22. We are continuing our study through Luke. And in today's passage, we will study God's work of providence through the betrayal of Jesus' disciple. God is at work in and through the circumstances of this life, good and bad, right? For His purposes and for His glory, we will see that here. I pray this passage be of comfort to you. We learn in verses 47 through 53 that in the darkest and most difficult of times, God is at work in the most glorious of ways. That's your truth for the week. Let's look at it together. I'm going to read this passage for us. Then I'll explain several things we learned here about God's providential plan in Judas's scandalous betrayal. Luke 22, 47 through 53. Hear the word of God, believers. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. Underline that. He's leading the way. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, not waiting for the answer right, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Let's pray. Father, as Miles prayed earlier, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. For our joy and for your purposes and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Three things I want you to see here. I want you to see the providence of God, number one, in Jesus' response to Judas' betrayal. I want you to see that God is in control of this. He's got this. 
Look at verses 47 through 48. While he was still speaking, while he was speaking to his disciples, right? About the fact that they needed to be praying instead of sleeping in Gethsemane. While he's saying that, while he's still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? So, so let, me, let, let me tell you here. This is Judas's betrayal, right? And I want you to know that Judas's betrayal was a shock to everyone but Jesus. While the gospel writers hardly mention Judas's name without mentioning the fact that he is the snake who betrayed Jesus. And why, while you'll, you'll often see paintings of the disciples today and Judas is the one with the sinister look on his face sort of sitting in the shadows, all of that is done in hindsight. No one suspected Judas of anything at the time. Remember when when Jesus said, one of you will betray me? There wasn't a disciple who says, oh, I know who that's going to be. It's Judas over there sitting in the shadows. No, it says they begin to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this. They didn't know that Judas had already taken part in selling Jesus out. And he's already taken part in Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. And here, he's leading the pack. We're told the man called Judas, one of the twelve, Luke's emphasizing that, shocking, was leading them. Betrayal. We said earlier in our study that the religious leaders wanted Jesus dead, but were probably planning on having him arrested after Passover week. Remember, there's a lot of Jewish people in from all over who are in town this week, and they were flocking to the temple each and every day during Holy Week to hear Jesus teach. He's popular with them. We're told the religious leaders, they refrained from having Jesus arrested for fear of what the people might do, right? Those people who were, were following him had Judas not sought these men out and offered up this information to them of the private place where Jesus retired in the evenings had he not volunteered to betray him in the dark with a kiss for a payday, they probably would have waited to apprehend him. That is significant. You see, it is God's will for his son to be crucified during Passover. Do you realize that? It's significant. It's important that he be crucified on Passover because of his role that he plays as our great high priest. God sent his son to act as our high priest and offer up the perfect sin sacrifice on our behalf. Just read the book of Hebrews. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. John the Baptist tells us Jesus is our Passover lamb. When he sees him, he points his disciples to him. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because that is the case, it makes sense. He be delivered up and crucified during Passover week. That happened because of Judas's betrayal. But it happened in accordance with God's divine plan. That's why Jesus is not surprised To be met by Judas and betrayed in the dark with a kiss. 
This was God's plan. And it's being fulfilled in accordance with His will. Jesus knows what's going on. He told His disciples about it over dinner. Jesus calls Judas out on it. He knows why He's there. We're told while Judas draw near to Jesus to kiss Him, Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? He knows what He's there to do. While mobster movies often depict a kiss as a sign of betrayal, this was foreign to those in Jesus' day. Greeting with a kiss was reserved for friends. It was a sign of a close and intimate relationship. That is why betrayal by way of a kiss was so traitorous and two-faced and duplicitous. It was a despicable act. Jesus calls Judas out on it. He says, you betray the Son of Man with a kiss, Judas? You see, Jesus lets him know you're not just betraying a friend in the dark. You're not simply guilty of shedding innocent blood. That is, why the way, by the way, why Judas is, is broken over this betrayal in, in other gospel accounts. Many believe he was repentant. He was not. He was upset because he believed Jesus to be a man not deserving of death. Not that he was the son of God. He was, he was broken up over the fact that he had betrayed innocent blood. He didn't believe Jesus to be the son of man. Jesus is letting him know here though, that's what you're doing. You're doing more than just betraying a friend, Judas. You're betraying the Son of Man with a kiss. That phrase, Son of Man, is an important one. It's used all throughout the gospel accounts. It's used 25 times in Luke, 81 times in all four gospels. It's taken from Daniel 7 where Daniel is speaking of the Ancient of Days, sitting on his throne, that is God the Father, and he mentions the Son of Man who is in the presence of the Ancient of Days, whom the Ancient of Days gives dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. Jesus shows by using this title who he is. He is the Messiah, the Christ of God, God the Son, and and shows by using this title the wickedness of what Judas has done here. He has betrayed God. He has rejected God's man. He's responsible for the death of his son. He has sided with God's enemies. And all of this is happening in accordance with God's plan. Amazing. Peter later, when looking back at these events, says this, Acts chapter 2, he says, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, but you crucified and killed at the hands of lawless men. This was God's plan. And Jesus was his man to accomplish this plan. But that doesn't get Judas and the religious leaders off the hook because this is God's plan. The cross is an evil act done by wicked men and it's also a glorious work done by a holy God. When we survey these events, we see both God's sovereignty and human responsibility. 
We see those truths side by side throughout Scripture in reference to God's work of salvation. Judas's role in God's great story of redemption is that he is the great enemy used by Satan to betray God's son, so he will be arrested and tried and killed in order to redeem mankind, which is God's plan and what God is doing. Peter says as much. In Acts chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, listen to this. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Now, wrap your mind around that for just a moment. Can I read that again real quick? Let's just, let's just really marinate on that. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Sure did. He's leading the pack. He was numbered among us and was allotted his share in ministry. So so Peter says here that the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David, which is, by the way, you get a good glimpse of the way divine inspiration works, right? The Spirit of God speaks the Word of God through the man of God, through the people of God. Here, Peter says that the Spirit of God spoke about Judas through David in the Old Testament. God is sovereign, right? Peter says Judas was numbered among us and was allotted his share in ministry. Judas, like Peter, like James, like John, Andrew, Thomas, and the rest, was called by Christ to be his disciple. He was numbered among the twelve. He was called by Christ and he walked with them, yet he remained crooked and unrepentant, and he betrayed him. Peter realizes this when examining the scriptures that, that Judas's life, while tragic, did not take God by surprise. His life and betrayal and, and, and death was prophesied by David in Psalm 69. He says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. Judas's wicked acts, Satan's works through Judas was not a surprise to God. Get this, it was another bullet point in his plan of redemption. He thinks he's in control and God's just checking off point number two in his plan. He's a pawn in his plan of redemption. Judas's wicked acts led Jesus, our Passover lamb, to the slaughter for our redemption. Awesome, right? Now, while Judas's story is not a fun one to discuss, it's encouraging because it reminds us of the way in which God works. God is in control always and at all times, and he is at work for our good and for his glory. That should comfort you believers. Like Miles said earlier, we we should be some of the most optimistic people on the planet. In the darkest and most difficult of times, God is at present and he is at work for his purposes and for his glory. While he restrains any threat To his redemptive purposes, anything that he allows is not a threat to his plan of redemption, but are events that he'll work in and through for his saving purposes. Next point. That's enough right there, right? Are you full yet? 
This is meat and potatoes. All right, we got more. Notice the providence of God in Jesus' response to Peter's violence. Look at verses 49 through 51. And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. While sound asleep, a few minutes earlier, Jesus' disciples are now wide awake. When they realize what's, what's happening, they ask Jesus, Lord, is now the time? Is it time to strike? Remember, Jesus allowed them to keep a few swords with them, right? We learned that. They ask, is now the time to, to fight Jesus? And notice that one doesn't wait for an answer. He just strikes that servant and cuts off his right ear. Now, who might that be? Who is the disciple who often acts upon instinct and gets ahead of himself and and acts first while asking questions later? That would be Peter. That would be Peter. He's not named in this account or in Matthew or Mark's account, but he is named in John's account for doing this. And we learn that the man on the receiving end is Malchus. We also learn that the disciples completely misread this situation, right? Notice the difference between them and Jesus. What had the two been doing beforehand? Well, they had been sleeping and they were not prepared. Jesus told them what had happened. He, he had told them what God had willed. He had prayed about it and he went away without any struggle at all. But they're responding in violence. But Jesus was prepared. He went without a fight. He healed the man's ear also to show the work that he was going to Calvary to accomplish. Think about that. He had come from heaven to earth for men like Malchus. Did he not? Enemies of God. To die for the ones who would kill him. To heal those set against him. He came to bring peace with God. He came to heal the wounded. He came to restore his enemies. To rescue those set against him. And to restore those who would reject him. He's illustrating the work. He's going to Calvary to accomplish. Listen, if men like Malchus are not beyond the healing touch of Jesus, neither are you. Now he healed him physically but He will heal you spiritually. He will save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him. God will do that. I pray He rescue you today. pray you would come to Him wounded and in need. I pray you would turn from a life set against Him. If you're not trusting in Him, I pray you would seek Christ's healing touch. Today, repent of your sin, believe on Him, and be restored today. That's the kind of work that He went to Calvary to accomplish, right? Last point, we've looked at the providence of God in Jesus' response to Judas' betrayal and in Peter's violence. Now let's look at God's providence in Jesus' response to His enemy's plan. Look at Jesus' response to his enemy's plan, verses 52 and 53. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? 
when I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. I love this passage. Jesus shows us here so much. He shows us who is in control and whose side everybody is on. He basically asked them here, why why are you guys plotting in the shadows and scheming in the dark to arrest me? If I have been with you day after day in the temple, if I have done something worthy of arrest, why didn't you lay hands on me then? Why are you coming at me like I'm a robber in the middle of the night with swords and clubs? Jesus shows them their, their cowardice and their corrupt intentions here. The phrase power of darkness has a double meaning. It refers to the secrecy of their their nighttime arrest and their service to the forces of evil. Jesus is saying to them, the fact that you have chosen to do this now under the cover of darkness shows the darkness of your own hearts. It shows that the power of darkness is at work within you. We know it's at work in Judas, right? We're told that at the beginning of Luke 22 that Satan entered into Judas and that he went away and conferred with chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And here in this passage, he is leading the way. So so think about this. The religious leaders are being led by the powers of darkness at work in Judas. They have strayed. Nobody knows it but Jesus. He knows it. He calls him out. What's going on here? He knows what's going on, right? He knows who is behind this. And he is not concerned in the least because God is in control. Jesus knows it. The power of darkness, while powerful, is no match for the power of God. In fact, get this. These forces at work against God are really working for God against themselves. Think about that. These dark forces at work against God are really working for God and against themselves. The Bidianya Buile in his commentary on Luke says this. Look at this quote. The power of darkness has the upper hand now, but it's only an hour. It's only for a brief time, and it's only for God's purpose. Satan thinks he has conquered the Son of God. What he has really done is help complete the plan of God. Amen? Even cowardice and darkness are made to do God's bidding. No one sees it yet, but they will. They soon will. The disciples think they have to scrap their way out of it. They're not prepared. Jesus tells them in Matthew's gospel, Do you not think that I can appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? I don't need your measly sword, Peter. I've got 12 legions of angels ready, waiting for my command. God is in complete control here. And the reason he does not send 12 legions of angels is because everything is happening in accordance with his plan. Judas's betrayal planned into the plan of salvation. The cowardice arrest of Jesus by the religious leaders planned into the plan of salvation. 
It's what God has allowed for. It is what he will work in and through for the salvation of many. Another quote, Robert Stein, in his commentary on Luke, says, All that Jesus foretold his disciples was beginning to take place, and this was God's design, not that of Jesus' opponents. The Son of Man went as God had decreed. As Jesus foretold, Judas had now betrayed him. Next, Peter would deny him. More on that next week. Come back. As I've said many times in here already and many times over the years, this was the plan from the beginning. God the Son came from heaven to earth to lay His life down as our substitute in perfect sacrifice to make a way for us through Him to be forgiven and to be restored to a right relationship with the living God through faith in Christ Christ's betrayal and arrest and conviction and death were all planned into the plan of salvation. They happened in accordance with God's plan to save us. That is why He went without a fight like a lamb to the slaughter. No one took Christ's life from Him. He laid it down so that He could lift us up. He was wounded and killed so that He could heal and restore us. He died so that we might live. Have you given your life to Him who gave His life for you? Have you laid your life down before the one who laid His life down to save you? I invite you to do that today if you have not. Forsake your sin. Give your life up and over to Jesus today. Trust in Him alone your salvation and be saved. Let's pray together.